Hey there, this is Pastor John Ware, lead pastor of Lifehouse Newport News, a church that exists to help all people experience life change through Christ. Thank you for joining us today on our podcast. We hope it inspires you and gives you perspective to see how God is moving in your life. Now let's get to today's episode. So we're finishing up today the Bible is, and the goal of this series was to simply help you start, renew, or strengthen your relationship with this book. Because frankly, there is no, there is no other book on this planet like the Bible. And let me give you a few things that I've told you in previous weeks of why this book is uniquely different. First off, it's the best-selling book of all time, and it's not, and it's not even Close. It has sold close to 5 billion copies, five times more than any other book. It is the most widely translated book ever, being translated into almost 3,000 languages. More song lyrics and books have been written about the Bible than any other book. No other book has been more loved, hated, outlawed, abused, misinterpreted, misconstrued, referred to, honored, or dishonored. But as I've said the past few weeks, when you have a book that is actually a book of 66 books, written by 44 different authors, some being statesmen, farmers, shepherds, peasants, musicians, poets, kings, and even tax collectors over a period of 1,500 years, written from 13 different countries on three different continents, from many different cultural and socio-political environments in three different languages that include different communication types such as narrative history, genealogies, chronicles, laws, poetry, proverbs, prophetic oracles, riddles, drama, biographical sketches, parables, letters, sermons, and apocalyptic literature. I understand that you can deduce either the Bible is the work of God or by some crazy maniac making stuff up. But we've talked about with this series, how the Bible is unrivaled, confusing, misunderstood. If you, you know, if you didn't have the opportunity to check those sermons out, I would really encourage you to jump on our church app, SoundCloud, iTunes, whatever, and check those previous weeks out. But today, we're going to finish it out with the Bible is an invitation. The Bible is an invitation. You have been invited. Let me tell you a little bit uh, about my childhood growing up. So I grew up in a really strict religious home, okay? My mom, she got saved uh, watching Jimmy Swaggart on television and her life got radically changed, radically saved. Like she went from, you know, from just like straight listening to rock music, crazy rock, you know, it it was just like a crazy life to she got radically saved and turned her life around. And so she went from that to when she had kids, like she didn't want us to, she didn't want us going on the wrong path. So she put in place some, some pretty, some pretty strict guidelines. I couldn't watch Care Bears. Okay. Couldn't watch Care Bears. Couldn't, couldn't, couldn't play with He-Man toys no more. You know, I had to pop the heads off of those things. Growing up, I went to a Christian school. I was homeschooled for kind of part of my, you know, of my of, of my education growing up, so that could be why I'm so strange. Uh, but also, I'm just kidding, if you're homeschooled, we love you, we're grateful for you, we're thankful for you. Uh, but also, too, I could not eat Lucky Charms. Like, I don't know what it was against Lucky Charms. I think she got some sort of saying there could be demons in the cereal because of the leprechaun on the box. I couldn't eat Count, Count Dracula. She used to pay me to learn Bible verses. Um, you know, and then, too, she, she would show us her kids, Lacey and I, these rapture movies where it was like, you know, Jesus came back 
everyone's left behind except the people in that movie. And then it's, it's this craziness, insanity, if you, know, you don't want to get left behind. And so honestly, I grew up scared most of my childhood that you know, what Jesus was going to come back. And if he found me in a theater or he found me doing something that I shouldn't do, Jesus was going to leave me behind. Like it was, it, it was just, you know, and then too, growing up, I, I, I was in this play called Heaven's Gates, Hell's Flames, which I don't know if you've ever seen that, but basically it's about heaven and hell and kind of just how it portrays both of those things. And guess who nine-year-old John was? Get this, at, at a kid's birthday party, this kid had a great, a great idea that he wanted to do the Heaven's Gates, Hell's Flames at his birthday party without telling kids before they came. That'd be a little strange, a little weird. And guess who got to be the person standing there with the book of life telling people that came whether they were going to heaven, hell? Me. And I mean, I was just like, oh, nope, sorry, your name's not on the book of, the book of life. Sorry, you're going there, buddy. You, you didn't receive Jesus. So, so hopefully that paints for you a little bit of what I grew up in. And the reason I tell you that is for this simple purpose. Growing up, following following Jesus felt forced. It did not feel like it was extremely invitational. It wasn't like, hey, if you want to follow Jesus, if, if you make that choice, it was kind of like, no, my mom was like, you going to do this and you're going to like it. And I know she had great intentions. She had great purposes behind it. She cared for me. She, she, wanted, she, she wanted me to go on the right path. But, but unfortunately, what I think a byproduct of that was, is that growing up, I somewhat felt anything, whether it was Bible, church, Jesus, whatever, it was because, it, it was because, it, it was because I was scared of God and, and almost as, as if I was forced instead of it being, it being invitational and it being like, this is something not that I've got to do, but that I get to do. And honestly, I think so many of you right now watching this, you have that same feeling whenever it comes to God, church, the Bible, Jesus, where like if, you know, you've almost got, got the feeling, if I don't go to church, if I don't read the Bible, if, if I don't pray, God won't like me, he'll throw me out, he'll send me to hell, and you've got this fear-based relationship with God instead of, instead of a love-based, I get to be in relationship with God. I get to read the Bible. I get to go to church. I get to be in relationship with his people. And I really pray today and think today that God wants to break that spirit of I've got to and give you a spirit of I get to today. Why? Because God is invitational. And that's why I'm telling you today, the Bible is an invitation. You can even see this in Jesus's ministry. Right? When, whenever Jesus was going and, and basically inviting people to follow him, whenever it says, come and follow me, I don't see Jesus' voice as, come follow me! Come follow me! You know, and then he's kind of going up Peter and John and just like barking at him. You don't follow me, you're going to hell. You know, you know the tone and kind of the presentation that I can see Jesus having is kind of more like, hey, come follow me. Come and see it wasn't forced. It wasn't coerced. It was Jesus saying, I know I've got something you need and something that your soul was craving. So, hey, just come and follow me. Come and see. 
I am inviting you to come and see and follow me. And that's what I believe we've got to see the scripture as. The Holy Spirit wrote the Bible. The Holy Spirit, every time we, we open the Bible, we're saying, Holy Spirit, fill me. Holy Spirit, speak to me. Holy Spirit, convict me. Holy, Holy Spirit, challenge me. And what this book is doing, it doesn't say, read, read me. It's, it's God through, through the Holy Spirit saying, hey, this has something that you need. I wrote something that I know your soul needs. It's invitational. And that's what I think we see throughout the Bible is God is the great inviter. God is the great, he's consistently giving and offering invitations to us. Adele Cal, Calhoun in her book, Invitations from God, says, says this here. She says, with our track record of cavalierly ignoring God-given, God-given invitations, I am perplexed that God continues to send out the invites. As the first and the great inviter, God devotes himself to sending out, to sending out, invitations to come join his divine community. How easily we miss the magnitude and honor of his invitation. A self-sufficient, joyful trinity reaches out with welcome and says, come and join us, please RSVP. She goes on to say this though. She says, God initiates relationship. God invited Abraham, the Hebrew people, Isaac, Jacob, Gideon, Moses, David, prophets, fishermen, tax collectors, outcasts, women, men, crowds, enemies, betrayers, liars, and children to know him and be with him. It doesn't matter if you are on the paid staff of hell. God's invitation goes out to you again and again. Everyone is equally yet uniquely invited into God's word and to God's world and to God's heart. Not one tribe or people or group is excluded. The great inviter says, come to my dinner party. Come and be with me and meet my guest. God is the great inviter. And what I want to do today is share with you three things that the Bible invites us to. Honestly, like I said, this book is simply sitting here saying, I'm ready when you are. I am here and available. I've got, I've got what your soul needs. And, and quickly today, I want to share with you three things that the Bible invites us to. First off, the Bible invites us to understand the hard truth about ourselves. The Bible invites us to understand the hard truth about ourselves. And what is the hard truth about ourselves? I believe that Tim Keller states it well whenever he says this. We are more wicked than we ever dared believed, but more loved and accepted in Christ than we ever dared hope at the very same time. This is the picture that God that, that scripture, that the Bible paints that of what, of what at their core humans are, deeply flawed. From the beginning, our desires are all about us to do the very opposite of what God wants. And what I say every time, I got three reasons why, why I know that's true. And those are my three sons, Jackson, Jude, and Dallas. I love them, but at the same time, they came out of the womb saying, me, 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 me. They were born selfish. But the truth is this, that sin rules us. And if you don't think this is true, look at our world right now. Look at, look at our world. We're simply reaping the fruit of what we've sown. And the truth is, is that we have all sinned. We've all turned our backs on God and fallen short of God. Yet despite our rebellion and wickedness, we come face to face in scripture with a God that is passionately in love with people. A God who is desperately 
in love and wanting to be in relationship with these very people that turn their backs on him. And he showed that by sending Jesus to be a substitute for our sin by dying on the cross. In the garden, Adam and, and Eve substituted themselves for God. But on the cross, Jesus substituted himself for us. And we can see that through that, the cross is God's, get it, invitation to us saying, you're welcome here. I love you. I died for you. And this is the picture we see in scripture that we are desperately wicked, but desperately loved at the same time. What does this actually do for us? So Tim Keller says this here. He says, this creates a radical new dynamic for personal growth. It means that the more you see your own flaws and sins, the more precious, electrifying, and amazing God's grace appears to you. But on the other hand, the more aware you are of God's grace and acceptance in Christ, the more you are able then to drop your denials and self-defenses and admit the true dimensions and character of your sin. He also says, says this here. This also creates a radical new dynamic for discipline and obedience. First, the knowledge of our acceptance in Christ makes it easier to admit we are flawed because we know we won't be cast off if we confess the true depths of our sinfulness. Second, it makes the law of God a thing of beauty instead of a burden. We can use it to delight and, and imitate the one who has saved us rather than to get his attention or procure his favor. Now we run the race for the joy that is set before us rather than for the fear that comes behind us. Y'all, that is good stuff. And I pray today that God right now, that you would even feel right now within your spirit heart, God inviting you to himself, to know the true you, that you are more wicked than you ever dare believed, but more loved than you could ever imagine at the same time. And this book undoubtedly says you're depraved, yes, but God loves you so much that in your depravity, he reached down and brought you up to himself. The truth is this here, mercy triumphs over judgment. Love triumphs over fear through Jesus Christ. Secondly, the Bible invites you to experience a transformed life. I sincerely believe this. You will read the Bible and it will change you or you will change it. It will change you or you will change it. This book will change and transform you or you will change and transform it to be what you want it to say instead of what it truly says. And that's what I think one of the biggest hazards in our generation is, is that we have, we think, the right to take God's word and twist it to be what we want it to be instead of submitting ourselves to it and, and say, shape and form me into your image instead of saying to the Bible, be shaped and formed to the image that you want it to be. And I want to encourage you and challenge you. Don't fall into that trap. Honestly, the Bible invites you through the power of the Holy Spirit to bring you into a transformation where you from the, from the inside out are made and shaped and formed to be like Jesus. You know, kind of our, our um, I don't know what you call it, baseline scripture of this series has been 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. And it says this here. It says, every part of scripture is God-breathed, and that means inspired, and is useful one way or the other, showing us truth, exposing our rebellion, correcting our mistakes, training us to live God's way. Through the word, we are put together and shaped for the tasks God has for us. Here's the thing. The ultimate author 
Endure of change is not just words. You don't just, just get changed by simply reading words and gaining information. Opening up the Bible that the Holy Spirit wrote actually then opens up your life for the Holy Spirit then to come in and do the ultimate work of transforming you to be like Christ. The Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit's job is to glorify Jesus. And whenever you open up the Bible and you, and you take it and you aren't just there just to get information, but you invite the Bible to help transform you through the power of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit then will transform you from the inside out to be more like Christ and fill you with the fruits, the fruits, the fruits, the, the fruits of the Holy Spirit, the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness, the goodness, the faithfulness, the, the gentleness, and the self-control. As you open this book, you are literally saying, Holy Spirit, fill my life. Why? Because the Holy Spirit was, was the power and the author behind this book. And I want to encourage you that some of, you know, let's just be candid, right? It can be hard to get into the Bible, right? And really what I've seen is there's three main, is there's three main barriers to people experiencing transformation in, in scripture because of three different reasons. First off, it takes hard work, y'all. And we don't like that. We, we, we like download, download Christianity, right? Just give me something quick, easy, put it in the microwave, and then we just become like Jesus because, no, no y'all, it takes work to, to, to truly distinguish what this book truly says to let it go and impact our life it takes work and what I am scared of is that honestly just the core hard truth is we're just lazy R.C. Sproul said this he said we fail in our duty to study God's word not so much because it is difficult to understand not so much because it is dull and boring but because it is work our problem is not a lack of intelligence or a lack of passion our problem is that we're lazy I mean, I, you know, y'all, I mean, it's spitting truth right, right there, right? I mean, it's reading us, right? And one of the core hazards that we have within this culture is just to get lazy and just to think, oh, we'll just become a whole lot more like Christ by osmosis. No, you, it's, it's going to take work. But the thing is, start now. Don't, don't wait. Don't feel like you, you got to be a Bible scholar just to get into it. Get around people. Join, join our 30-day Bible, Bible reading plan. That's probably going to go on to probably like 60 days, 90 days. We got so many people enjoying it. We've got 126 people involved with it right now. So look, text BC30 to 757-690-2401 and we'll put you each day. We're sending out a devotion. Each day we're sending out an email that gives you the Bible, the Bible, the Bible reading. And it has just been, been an incredible journey. And we want you to be a part of that. But you don't need to be a Bible scholar to start. We're here to walk with you as you are on this journey of starting, renewing, or strengthening your relationship with the Bible. The second thing, though, is secondly, it takes time. Flat out. I'm looking forward to the day when people start to say things like, I'm going to do scripture binges instead of Netflix binges. I'm going to do a scripture binge instead of just like Hulu binging. Because I think whenever our desires and passions change to desiring more of the Holy Spirit in scripture, that is when we will start to see some of the things the Bible actually says we can do and be as Christ followers. And really Christians would call it revival. It's when our desires change. It's when the core deep passions and desires within us change to wanting more of God and his word and seeing, and seeing it, here's the thing, as a 
delight instead of as a duty, seeing it as a blessing instead of, instead of a burden. And that only comes through the transforming work of the Holy Spirit. It can't come about by willpower. It can't come, come about through some tech, technique. It's got to be a deep-rooted burden, burden that God puts on you. And I'm praying for that today for you, that God will shift you from, from it being a got-to to a get-to. All right? But here's the thing. It takes time. It takes time. Redeem your time. If you're driving to work, you're, you're walking the dog. Look at, think of in your day how, how you could put together 25 or, thir- or 30 minutes of listening to the Bible, reading the Bible. It doesn't have to be you sitting in some closet, you know, at home, you know, when you're sitting there trying to read the Bible. It's just get, get it into you any way possible. Watch, I mean, any way possible, get the word in you. Start now. Take some time. All right, thirdly, though, it takes guts flat out. Engaging the Bible takes guts. Why? Because it's hard to get into scripture and it calling you out for things that you like doing that it calls wrong. It's a fearful thing to dig into God's word and to have God's word go through you. But also too, you've, you've got the fear. What if I don't know? The fear of being convicted. There are so many fears that are uh, associated with reading God's word, but but you're going to have to jump out and in faith step out and say, I'm not going to let fear hinder me from getting into this book. But thirdly, right, here's the the third thing. The Bible invites us. Let me ensure I got these points right. It, It invites us to understand the hard truth about ourselves. The Bible invites us to experience transformation. But lastly, and this is the best part, the Bible invites us to know God. You're like, John, that is so deep. But no, honestly, like I said, the very first sermon with this series, I said, when you open up the Bible, you are opening up the very word, the very breath that God spoke and wrote and breathed through imperfect people throughout history and that we have right now written history a, a, a written record of what God did and what God did and what God is going to do in this world through his people and you get to be invited not to just know information but you get to be invited into a relationship with the living God I love Paul's passion. If there's one thing that you see about Paul in, in, in scripture, first off, the thing that we talked about Paul, he was, you know, Paul killed Christians. You talk about someone that was desperately wicked, right? Someone that was like desperately wicked, but at the same time, whenever he encountered Jesus and he got knocked, you know, literally off of his high horse, Paul became completely changed. The course of his life changed to where then his sole passion, his sole focus became, I want not to just know about God. I want to know God. And here's the thing. I love what Paul says here in the book of Philippians chapter three, whenever he's trying to, to describe to the, to the church in Philippi, this passion that he's got, he starts talking this way. Let me share, share, share it with you. It's Philippians three verses six through 14. This is what it says here, he says, um, 
you know my pedigree, a legitimate birth circumcised on the eighth day, an Israelite from the elite tribe of Benjamin, a strict and devout inherit to God's law, a fiery defender of the purity of my religion, even to the point of persecuting the church, a really meticulous observer of everything set down in God's law book. He, he says, the very credentials these people are waving around is something special I'm tearing up and throwing out with the trash, along with everything else I used to take credit for. And why? Because of Christ. Yes, all the things I once thought were so important are gone from my life compared to the high privilege of knowing Christ Jesus as my master firsthand. Everything I once thought I was, I, everything I once thought I had going for me is insignificant, dog dung. I've dumped it all in the trash so that I could embrace Christ and be embraced by him. I don't want some petty inferior brand of righteousness that comes from keeping a list of rules when I could get the robust kind that comes from trusting Christ, God's righteousness. I gave all up that inferior stuff so I could know Christ personally, experience his resurrection power, be a partner in his suffering, and go all the way with him to death itself. If there was any way to get out or to get in on this resurrection from the dead, I wanted to do it. Then he goes on and says, I'm not saying all this, or he's not saying that I have all of this together, that I have, that I have it made, but I am well on my way, reaching out for Christ, who has so wondrously reached out for me. Friends, don't get me wrong. By no means do I count myself an expert in all of this, but I've got my eye on the goal where God is beckoning us onward to Jesus and I'm off and running and I'm not turning back. Do you feel the passion there? Do you see that once Paul realized that God was beckoning him, that's what he says here. He says, God was beckoning me saying, hey, come on, inviting him. It became the sole passion. He realized that God, the great inviter, was welcoming him, inviting him and saying, I want to know you. And that is that, that, that right here is what the Bible says. Think, think uh, about this here. Second Peter 1, 3, 3 through 4, it says this. Everything that goes into a life of pleasing God has been miraculously given to us by getting to know personally and intimately Jesus Christ, the one who invited us to God, the best invitation we've ever Received. Second Peter 1, verses 10 through 11 says this. So friends, confirm God's invitation to you, his choice of you. Don't put it off. Do it now. This is what Peter's saying. He's like, look, you got the opportunity. God's invitation is out there to you. And one of the great ways that God puts the, the, the invitation out to know him is through his word. So family, church, Lifehouse fam, I want to challenge you and encourage you. This book doesn't have to be, a, I got to read it or God's not going to love me. God's going to throw me into hell. God, God, you know, y'all, this is an invitation that God is saying, you, you, you get to know about me. You get to read about how I've worked in history's past, how I'm going to work in, in history's future. You get to, to, to come to the hard truth about yourself that you are desperately wicked yet desperately loved. You get to experience transformation. But more importantly, the most important thing is you get to know me. I've been praying for you that, y'all, that we would be a Bible church. We just wouldn't be a church that, that is intrigued by the Bible, that we just wouldn't be a church that just, you know, that looks and views it as good advice but we would see it as being the centerpiece of what God has given us to live our lives by. But y'all, we can't see it as a burden. You can't see it as you're being kicked 
and, and just, oh, I gotta do it or God's gonna hate me. No, I pray that by the power of his Holy Spirit that it would turn in for you to be a blessing, that you would put past fear, that you would put past laziness, that you would, put, put, that you would push past being, being undisciplined and that you'd say, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do the hard work. I'm gonna be bold and I'm gonna engage God's word. Thank you again for joining us on the LifeHouse Newport News Podcast. If you're ever in the Hampton Roads area, we'd love for you to join us at one of our live worship experiences at 9 a.m. or 10.30 a.m. at the Regal Kiln Creek Movie Theaters. Until then, feel free to check us out at www.theaterchurchnn.com or on any social media platform. Thank you so much, and God bless.